0: Well, I like real estate just because uh, I I like the benefit of being able to uh, have a mortgage pay off real estate over time so that when I retire, I have something. I like the fact that it's boring. I want to be able to be uh, entertained and travel and do a lot of things in my retirement, and that boring investment of real estate allows me to do that. tenants and been involved in thousands of real estate transactions. This program will help you follow in Jason's footsteps on the road to your financial independence day. You really can do it. And now, here's your host, Jason Hartman, with the complete solution for real estate investors.
1: Welcome to episode 1294-1294. Today, our guest will be Hernando de Soto, and he will be talking about the mystery of capital. I think you'll find this to be a fascinating interview. And he is joining us today from Peru. I visited Peru a couple of years ago and uh, found it to be a very interesting place. They are in the midst, I just read about this uh, maybe yesterday or the day before, they are in the midst of a constitutional crisis over there. So, uh, a lot of crazy stuff going on with their government. Hopefully, that'll all work out well. It's interesting though, you know, when you go around the world and you talk to people and you read the media from different countries and, and different outlets, and of course, nowadays with global communication system, it's all becoming so much more homogenized. It used to be really different. I mean, I remember the first time I went to Europe as an adult uh, at age maybe 22, I guess. It was really interesting how different the news media was, and how varied the opinions were. But now with global communication, of course, we're all in this world where we all know what's going on around the world in in a matter of uh, less than a second, right? Uh, Because, hey, it travels at the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second. Not 186,000 miles per hour, but per second. That means light can travel around the earth seven times in less than one second. Pretty darn amazing, huh? So these views, in some ways, they've become more uh, homogenized as as news proliferates and media proliferates. But at the same time, we're all sort of trapped in our own echo chambers too. And so the internet serves up what we already believe, what we already click on, and we see that stuff over and over again. So we've got to guard against that because uh, we don't want to, as I have said for many years, We don't want to become too much like ourselves. In other words, we want to be open to other ideas, right? As people, this especially happens with, I hate to say it, but hey, you know, as we get older, we all get a little more set in our ways, right? And by the way, that's reminded because I have a birthday this week, which, by the way, years ago, I asked, I said, hey, if I've impacted your life in some way, uh, make a little video and stick it on YouTube and tell me about it. I'd love to hear it or come on the podcast. We'd love to have you always appreciate that. And. Uh, that would be the best birthday gift ever is if uh, if you did that and you know we should play some of those from several years ago when I asked people to do that and thank you for all of you who did that that was that was really nice makes me really uh want to keep doing what I'm doing here. So I appreciate that. You know, you got to motivate, you got to motivate the the host of the show sometimes too, right? It's not just about me motivating you. Hopefully I'm doing that if I'm doing my job, but you got to motivate me a little bit, right? So uh, that's what really motivates me when I, when I see those YouTube videos out there and uh, you tell me how uh, this message that we've been uh, talking about over the past 15 years has impacted your life. Hopefully it's made you richer, it's uh, given you more peace in your life, more financial freedom, more peace of mind, more time to do what you want in your life then hey, that's what it's all about and that's what we're here for. So thank you for doing that for any of those of you who feel motivated. Just stick a little quick video on YouTube. tell me what you think and send me the link. Go to slash uh, ask And you can send the link through there or just reach out, you know, if you're already connected with me or any of our investment counselors can reach out that way and and just send us the link and we'd love to see it. Appreciate that. So I was just listening to a, uh, I just made myself a salad for lunch, which I pretty much have a salad every day for lunch. And let me tell you, if you ever get the chance to experience one of my salads, you will be in for a treat because I make... I make a mean salad. I mean, it's really good. Really tasty salads. Even my mom and my girlfriend think so. And that's pretty good because they both can cook a lot better than I can. (laughs) Never been much of a cook. In fact, I always said the best thing I make for dinner is reservations. (laughs) Reservations, that's the best thing I make for dinner. Although I've gotten a little better recently. But yeah, I made a salad and I I asked my... uh, eavesdropping device to play some music. And the song that came on was a song I never heard before. It's called Living by Dirk Spentley. If you know the lyrics to this idea, it just kind of hit me, and I wanted to share it with you, just some of the lyrics real quickly. I was about to turn the song off to say skip or thumbs down, and then I listened to the lyrics, and I thought, you know, this is a good message in this song. He said, uh, this morning I got up at 6.01, Walked out and saw the rising sun, and I drank it in like whiskey. You know, those country guys, they like to drink their whiskey, right? (laughs) I saw a tree I've seen a thousand times, a bird on a branch, and I watched it fly away in the wind, and it hit me. It's a beautiful world. Sometimes I just don't see it so clear. Some days you just breathe in, just try to break even. Sometimes your heart's pounding out of your chest. Sometimes it's just beaten. Some days you just forget what all you've been given. Some days you just get by. Some days you're just alive. Some days you're living. Some days you're living. And you know, it reminded me, when I first moved into the, the house I'm in now, I've told you that story, and I would walk the dog around in the morning, and you know, there's some nature here, and it's, it's kind of nice, and I can't say I'm like any giant Fan of nature or anything, you know, but I really try to notice. And I guess what inspired me to do this is is after um, finishing for the second time the very famous old book Walden by Henry David Thoreau. A couple of years ago was the last time I went through it. It's just amazing how we obviously all of us, I know I do it. We tend to take for granted what's right in front of us. When you just start to really notice the detail about what you see and hear and you notice nature around you. I mean, when I would walk around in the morning, and of course now it's normal, so I don't notice it, right? That's really bad. You want to guard against that. You want to constantly notice and, and try and appreciate and be grateful for all of these things. But I would notice how the birds sing in the morning. I'm I'm an early riser, so I'm I'm up early. How they sing in the morning, how they communicate with each other, and the environment and how they fly. And, you know, I would notice how the birds would go in the water in the lake, and then they would um, come out and they'd be on a tree branch or just on the grass or wherever. And they'd spread their wings with their back to the sun, just so the sun would dry their wings off. And they would just stand there like that for the longest time. One time, I, I just stood there and I watched the bird and it was just Wings just spread out, you know, standing there just for quite a long time, kind of sunbathing, you know. It's just really amazing, you know. Notice those little things. That's the the thing to do, you know. Notice those little things. Also, I wanted to mention to you that the guided visualizations that we've been playing on Saturday for several months now, we are going to move those off of the Creating Wealth show, and they're going to move to their own feed. So if you're not into it, or, you know, it's in the middle of your binge listening to a bunch of episodes and you don't want to be interrupted by a visualization because, hey, you're, you're not in the, in the right mood or the right place. You know, you're not relaxing where you can really take it in. And if you're driving, you shouldn't be listening because that might not be safe. So we're going to move that to a separate feed. For you. And we will, of course, uh, share that new link and where you can find that. That'll be its own podcast with a completely separate feed, and it will come off of Saturday. So we will be taking that off. It will not be in the Creating Wealth show. Of course, the old ones will just stay there where they are. I guess we'll just leave them up, but uh, we will repost the old ones and then add all the new ones. So they're in chronological order on a new podcast feed, and we'll let you know about that. Okay. And one more announcement before we get to our guest, by popular request, and thank you for those of you who suggested this idea, we are making it possible for people who only want to come or only have time to come to a property tour just outside of Orlando, Florida. That is the day before Profits in Paradise, uh, the conference before that conference starts. So you can come just to the property tour only if that's all you have time for and I hope you'll stay for the whole weekend but hey we wanted to offer it for you and that'll just be $97 and that's on Friday the 25th of October and it'll start at 11 a.m. it includes the uh, transportation to get you to the properties and it'll include a lunch and uh, you can go look at properties and hey hopefully if you just come to that you'll decide whatever you've got going on that weekend you need to cancel it so you can be at profits in paradise because we're looking forward to a uh, a fantastic 2-day conference that weekend. Of course, you can find out more about all of this stuff at jasonhartman.com. Don't panic. The property tour link is not up there yet. You can't sign up for just that quite yet. We'll get it done here in the next several days and we'll announce it, but uh, you can definitely mark your calendar because if you want to if you're only available on friday the 25th and you want to join us for that tour you will be able to do that okay so that is it for the monologue portion of the show let's get to our guest i think you'll find this interview to be very interesting so here's hernando It's my pleasure to welcome Hernando de Soto. He is founder and president of the Institute for Liberty and Democracy. He is also best-selling author of The Mystery of Capital, Why Capitalism Triumphs in the West and Fails Everywhere Else. He's located in Peru and uh, meets with world leaders to discuss how to institute property rights in their countries. I think you'll be fascinated by this interview. Hernando, welcome. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing fine, Jason. Thank you very much for interviewing me. Good
1: to have you. Are you in Lima?
0: I am in Lima, indeed.
1: Fantastic. I was in Peru about, oh, maybe three years ago. Fascinating country, fascinating place. It's kind of interesting that you're talking about this topic in Peru, you know, a developing country. Did you grow up in Peru or are you from somewhere else? tell, Tell us about that.
0: I was born in Peru. My family moved in from uh, basically the Basque part of uh, Spain 420 years ago, so we've been around for some time.
1: (laughs) You certainly have. Well, in your book, it is quite interesting, by the way, you've got some interesting chapter heads, and I'd like to just start at the beginning and ask you, what are the five mysteries of capital?
0: Well, the five mysteries of capital, I think, can be wrapped up in one, which is uh, that it's not possible to uh, really understand the connection between the formation of property rights and capital. I mean, 1989, when economic communism collapsed in the former Soviet Union and in Eastern uh, Europe and uh, the rest of the world, including the Chinese, came to the conclusion that there was no other way than capitalism in one of its many forms, many of us have failed i mean we have a gnp in peru that i think is equivalent gnp per capita gross national product that is equivalent to one of chinese and of course you know at the beginning it's a uh, fast growth but then after a while it starts sinking and nobody realizes that it's not possible without private property because generally western countries like the united states take it for granted consider it an individual freedom the right to be protected But it's much more than that. It's the booster. It's what allows capital to be formed and wealth to be created. Also, of course, it doesn't only create wealth, it solves problems. If you look at the world today and you ask yourself why you have a rivalry with China, it's because China is now investing and most of the uh, resources, uh, natural resources, those that are renewable as well as those that are not renewable, Uh, make that your country is uh, concerned about that. You're not only concerned about the fact that, for example, in Peru, they now are the majority shareholder of the mines of Peru and have displaced the United States. And that happens in many countries throughout uh, Latin America. On the other hand, your president just said that he wants to buy Greenland. So the question is, why do all these people want to buy property in developing countries and yet have a hard time defending that property once they're there because there are rebellion against oil fields in uh, for example the middle east which forces you to keep a large amount of your troops there there are issues about what you can do with uranium especially if it's extracted or bought by iran so you see property rights are a current issue we just don't ever think about them as property rights or rather americans think of it rather as a real estate dealer But it has a lot to do with worldwide politics and who rules and who within a country rules. Mm -hmm. Just the rich or do the poor get a stab at it.
1: Okay, right, right. The title of the book is interesting. Why does it fail everywhere else, uh, as you say in the book?
0: There are various reasons. One of the first ones is that I don't think I know of a country that is able, once a, a market economy sets in and everybody has found that that's the best way to play the game, that will accept that just a few people in a country actually have property rights. Or rather, as uh, I learned from Americans, property rights is composed of uh, a uh, bunch of six right? It's not just one property right. You have the right to buy, you got the right to sell, you have the right to mortgage. In other words, it's composed of a variety of rights. That's why it comes in plural. Now, what happens in many developing countries is that the kind of people that have a right to uh, use their property, to guarantee credit, uh, to pledge uh, what they own against investment, uh, to uh, use it as a credential for whatever purposes there is uh, to be identified at the Securities Exchange Commission, we find out that in most developing countries, it's probably not more than 5, 10, at the most 30% of the population. Those are the ones, of course, who can add value, or as Marx would have said, surplus value, and extract value from their their assets because they can make them function in various fields and therefore give them various uses and therefore various sources of income. Now, when you are in a developing country and you see that the system has only actually reached a small part of the population... The other 70, 80 or 90 percent get very angry over time.
1: Oh, sure they do.
0: And bring the system down. And the socialist argument, which is capitalism doesn't work because it only helps the poor, as Marx would have said, then chimes in and then the system collapses.
1: Did you misspeak in that last statement? You said capitalism only works because it helps the poor. Did, did you mean to say that?
0: No, you I didn't know
1: mean capitalism. Way.
0: Excuse me. Then I made. Oops, <laughs> Uh The what I then uh, what I meant was capitalism only helps the rich.
1: Right, right. That's what the socialists would say. But the interesting yep. thing about it is that the coynescente, right, in all of these countries where you've got either a high degree of socialism, communism, or just an outright dictatorship of sorts, those people are always. The rich right they're they're the helped the most. I would argue that in the in the freer capitalist system that certainly there are rich and poor, but at least the poor have a chance at becoming rich in the other systems they they don't have a chance right because they're just not ever going to play in the game. It's like the insiders on Wall Street, right, the people who run communist China. Or uh, run, you know, whatever Russia is nowadays. It's sort of hard to tell, um, but but at least what it was in the under the Soviet Union, right? They're the insiders. They're the people managing all the capital. For people to think, for the Marxist ideology to think that they're somehow going to be generous with it is crazy. And it's been proven throughout history that they're they're not. They're very selfish uh, with the capital and the, those resources, aren't they?
0: Right, but their argument now, which you uh, said, what is Russia today, uh, which the best label I've found is it's called post communism. It isn't yeah. really the coming in of the market economy.
1: It's certainly plutocratic. You know, people would say the U.S. is a plutocracy because we've got, you know, the wealth gap and you've got the mega rich in the U.S., but that's more pronounced in a place like Russia for sure.
0: Well, what happens is, in your country, is that you are continually building capitalism. Mm-hmm. And you've got a democracy, and those who feel that they've been shortchanged uh, point out that, you know, I don't have education, or that the market hasn't reached me, etc. And that doesn't happen in many other countries. But the reason why Marx keeps on coming back is because they uh, it's the leftists who get elected in my part of the world, the third world. What happens is that they then hire the likes of us to keep it on stream and connect it to globalization but basically the pervasive argument is this is something that works in the northern countries but is not part of our culture kind of thing Mm -hmm. i mean and they will point out that for example indigenous americans etc they weren't able to come in because they are not culturally separate so the reply to all of that is that capitalism has to adapt to local circumstances. Otherwise, the locals will come out, listen to the arguments given to them by communists and the likes, in the sense that we're not yet ready for it, and we, the state has got to come in and do the education. Most of them, of course, in third world, have not traveled to the United States. They like what you produce. They like your rock and roll. They like your music. They like your culture. They like your blue jeans. But they say that in our countries, wealth tends to concentrate. And until developed countries or people who like you and I may think the same things are able to explain like the Marxists why it fails, because the Marxists in their theory, which is so weak compared to, uh, I don't know, liberalism or democratic liberalism, has nevertheless an important uh, message, which we don't, which is they have an explanation for failure. And therefore they can draw people right back to where they were originally before trying to attempt being a capitalist nation.
1: Do you know what is so amazing to me is that Marx, if any economist has had more impact on the world than Marx, I don't know who it is because the profound impact of Marxism is just, it's astonishing. It really is. I mean, you could you could argue, as much as I hate his ideologies, that he's the most successful economist ever in human history.
0: <laughs> you know? I mean, it's, you yeah. And, yeah, And you know, Jason, what you could say maybe is that he's the most comprehensive. Mm-hmm. What he does, you see, that is, I think, one of the reasons why I distinguish informal economies from formal economies, which are the ones that have full property rights.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So it's informal economies where they just have barely the right to hold the land, mm-hmm. but they how to, how to use it, and they can't leverage it, and they cannot combine it. I mean, there is isn't the product in the world that we consume, which is not the result of a combination, and they can't scale it up because the titles they have to their property only have value within a very limited circumference, is that the Marxists target their different aspects of their ideology and their economic programs to different people, while In other words, what they have is what they call class identity. They identify classes, and therefore, they know who to address in what way and in what language. While generally, capitalists, in reaction, of course, to Marxism, say, I don't like the class stuff. But then they ignore what we all do who are capitalists in everyday life, which is segment our markets. I mean, you couldn't be Microsoft or you couldn't be anybody who sells hamburgers that doesn't make a distinction between what kids will want, uh, the toppings kids will want on their hamburgers versus what adults will want and the kids will want a little bit of a pop soda, but maybe the adults will want wine. You segment your market and you target even the manufacturer of your cars compared to what you want, speed, security, large families, et cetera. But what you do or what we capitalists do in business, we do not do when it comes to politics. And in politics, when America, for example, which I admire, it's a great country, if you could call it a country, I think it's something bigger than a country, but that's another thing. I think it's, it's, an, idea- an,
1: it's an ideology. It's a brand, for sure. It's a brand. Yeah.
0: It's an yeah. ideology. Well, when you go to developing countries, it's enough that a small part of them who are educated in Harvard tell you that they've accepted your, your language, they've accepted your system, but they reserve all the levers that they've learned from you for just a small set of families. Those are your allies in many other countries. If you went into the class situation, you would find out that the majority of entrepreneurs are actually poor entrepreneurs, which is a contradiction in terms, and that many of your programs don't address them. The people who address them in the United States are rather the socialists who are moved not by economic efficiency, but by compassion. So I figure that there's no mystery to Marx. It's just that he has an explanation that unless you understand, for example, who is what, and from my point of view, the guys who are in tribes in Africa, who are in clans in Latin America, who are the poors in Shantytown, are all entrepreneurs. And if your programs don't address property rights, and that property rights include the right not only to buy and sell, but the right to leverage against credit and the right to pledge against investment— and the right to fusions, uh, merge and acquisitions, and the right to bring in imports from other countries so that you can put added value to your products, if those rights are not in place and they all correspond to what your property's title says that you can do, it's not just about meets and bounds, you will eventually not have most of the world on the side of capitalism.
1: You think about what is going on in the U.S. right now with, uh, you know, some of these politicians. We have like Bernie Sanders, who is just uh, a self-proclaimed socialist, and then AOC, the young politician who is, you know, probably more than a self-proclaimed socialist. What do you think about this movement in the U.S.? Is this uh, is this a bad thing?
0: First of all, if we accept that, I'm looking at it from the outside. Right? So no, that's why I'm asking
1: because it's great to get an international I'm, opinion on this stuff. <laughs>
0: I'll give you an uneducated national opinion. I'm just looking through the, through the window. First of all, he's moved by compassion. Mm-hmm. He yeah. obviously believes that inequality is an issue. And obviously, in the United States, there's a lot of people who feel that inequality is an issue. And he's addressing them, or otherwise, why is he even in the picture? And so the reply to Bernie Sanders should be, I don't agree with the solution, but here's what we're going to do about the fact that at some invisible threshold, boundaries, people, I mean, there you are, the most prosperous country in the world, and people are calling themselves socialists again. There was ages since that happened. Yeah. And so the reason, therefore, is somewhere along the line— the difference between classes of people has hit home. Mm -hmm. And the only way to solve that is by looking at the issue instead of going away from it, and then finding out that maybe some people have got more strings tied to their fingers than the other ones. And the question is then how we redress that. Because in terms of the broad argument and ideology, as you were talking about, that we're talking about Jason, there's no doubt that, there isn't a socialist country in the world that's, I mean, really socialist, that has made it. Yeah. The parts of Sweden that have triumphed yeah, have obviously been those that relate to capitalism.
1: Listeners, if you believe that any of the Scandinavian countries are socialist, you're out of your mind. They're all totally capitalist countries that just happen to have, because they're, they're wealthy, because capitalism made them so rich. They can afford big, fat, bureaucratic social programs, okay? They're not socialist countries. It's just crazy that people think that. It's such, uh oh, anyway. <laughs> and, and their big bureaucratic social programs don't work very well either. That's the other thing. You know, that's the, another myth. But go ahead with what you're saying.
0: Well, right. I mean, you're absolutely right. But I would add to that that at least they address the issues that the poor want them to address. Right. All right, then you get a large constituency because capitalism isn't only about a system that works, it's also a political system. And sure. it's got gotta to cater to people. So but back to the point is that what creates wealth is capitalism, there's no doubt about it. Yeah. But obviously, obviously it's not the only issue. The issue is is there equal opportunity kind of thing? And we don't have the reply, but it's not a bad idea to address the issue. Already that kind of a concern will make capitalism more popular where where it may be losing popularity.
1: Mm -hmm. I like the chapter heads in your book, and we've got to wrap it up, but I I, I don't know that you talked about uh, chapter six, the mystery of legal failure. Did you address any of those issues? I know you talked about property rights and so forth, but in the chapter, what what are you addressing?
0: Well, uh, property rights is a legal issue. Of course it is. Puts it all all together. So the legal issue is... How do you create a property right? Mm-hmm. So, for example... But is this if, about legal failure? The legal failure means this. We have a tendency in developing countries, and you know we are like 70% of the world population and occupy 70% of the territory. We have a tendency to go to the United States and say, this is the way it's done. And, of course, what we do is copy what you're doing now. What we should be copying is your 19th century, which is how you got... From there to here, I love that. Yeah, right. Were when you were a much less wealthy country than we Latin Americans. Mm-hmm. I mean, at that time, I would have any if I figure I would have lived at that time. I would have any day preferred to be in Lima, Mexico City, or Buenos Aires than in the swamp of Washington. Mm-hmm. So, what did you do? Between then and well, now, to
1: become so successful, right? Yeah, well, we, well. we had a couple of lucky things, like uh, the fact that we've got this big ocean to protect us on either side. You know, the war, World War One and Two, and you know, the fact that we won the Industrial Revolution, maybe because of that. So we, we had a few good fortunate things, but also the system was good. And I think what you're saying, correct me if I'm wrong, is that. The world should look at what worked then that made the U.S. today what it is, not what we're doing now, because what we're doing now is wrong in so many ways. We got to look at what got us here years ago. And I would argue that, you know, it was mostly sort of the disaster started in the 60s with the welfare state. I don't know. Maybe you could say it started before that. But what do you think?
0: Well, I think the following thing. I think that what you did, which was great, is you brought in 36 million migrants from Europe, somewhere in the middle of the century, Mm -hmm. Manifest Destiny, and you set them loose, and you told them obey the law, Mm -hmm. and they didn't. They crossed crossed the continent, and instead of following what you think that you are, the sons and inheritors of British law, and finding the British property system— You went out and created the Little Miami property rights system, the Gold Rush property system, the log cabin rights in the north of the United States, the corn bill rights, and you awarded assets according to local social contracts. 32 times your Supreme Court went and said these are illegal rights, and 32 times your Congress said that's the ingenuity of the American people and then you fought it out like in your cowboy films, but your legal system was born from the bottom up. So you actually adapted property rights to forms and vocabulary and customs that people on the ground understood. That's why you are a model to us. But every time we decide to not look at your 19th century, because we're 19th century countries, basically in the developing countries, by the way, and also the former Soviet Union, and we start simply imitating what you teach us in your universities, we get to the end instead of the beginning of the story.
1: Hmm. Yeah, very interesting. Good perspective. I like it. Give out your website. Uh, of course, people can find the book in all the usual places. It's got great reviews, a lot of reviews too. So congratulations on that. Uh, but uh, you probably have a website or something you want to share, right?
0: Yes, of course. www I-L-D, like Institute for Liberty and Democracy, okay. dot org, like organization, mm-hmm. dot P-E, like the first two letters of Peru. Okay. And that's it.
1: Fantastic. Hernando, thank you so much for joining us today.
0: Thank you for uh, being interested in us, Jason. Good to hear you.